This week, we're finishing Thorn by Intisar Kahani, otherwise known as We've Got Some Glue to Make. <laughs> Sorry. Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. Want to see what's next on our TBR list? Subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Instagram for a sneak peek at upcoming content or to help us pick our next book. Jordan got me fucked up. That's how this episode is starting. I... We're choosing violence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This has, there is a tie-in to Thorn later. Um, <laughs> but this was revelatory for me too, because I thought this was, like common knowledge no no it's no it is fucking not <laughs> at least at least in this genre and i am by no means i'm not like an english lit major i'm not no that's not who i am i just read a lot and know things <laughs> i <laughs> i could be a t-shirt i read a lot and know things instead of the <laughs> game of thrones so, uh yeah jordan's got me fucked up so there's a bit at the end of thorn that we'll get to and there's like trials and she's like oh it kind of is uh you know loosely related to the story called tam lynn uh you should probably talk about it because i you know okay i have i just skimmed through the original it's the ballad of tam lynn by robert burns scottish poet oh, i think he's scottish um <laughs> again haven't read it uh haven't read the original at least not in full because one it's hard to read fair <laughs> um but i have heard of this original like ballad slash fairy tale for years like since i first started reading like fantasy and the premise is that a woman from a village falls in love with with this dude and the fairy queen like and i am very very loosely paraphrasing <laughs> this this is not like robert burns original this is like what i have learned about this story of tamlin over the years because it's been bastardized like several times over but basically she falls in love with the dude the fairy queen on her nightly ride with her court sees this dude says he's mine and takes him and turns him into like her loyal knight and he's kind of brainless and like doesn't recognize his old first love and so this village maiden says fuck you fairy queen <laughs> and like meets the fairy queen and her court as they're on their ride and says i want my like my love tamlin back and the fairy queen says oh that's fun sure you can have him back if you can hold on to him and so the fairy queen uh makes a deal with the with the woman and she's like i will hold on to my love for the rest of my life and so she pulls this her pulls Tamlin off his horse, he's like a fairy knight, and holds on to him, and he starts turning into all of these various scary creatures. A snake, a bear, etc., etc., and attacks her as she's holding on to him, but she never lets go. And in the end, basically, she wins against the fairy queen. Tamlin wakes up from his stupor. Stupor? Uh, yes. Did I say it right? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone lives happily ever after, and that's like the loose ballad of Tamlin, as far as I understand it. And, uh... Through that retelling by Jordan, <laughs> you were probably getting some weird little brain tingles. Uh, that's why I'm choosing violence, because is that not the exact fucking plot <laughs> of Akatar? And no one told me. <laughs> I'm so mad. I feel significantly changed as a person. Because everyone always calls Akatar like a Beauty and the Beast retelling, but it's literally... But the story and it's named Tamlin and it's the same plot and the, the, the fairy queen steals the guy. <laughs> what the actual fuck? Yeah. I. So anyway, readers, um, I'm going to feel stupid if everybody else knew that. And I'm just like sitting here in ignorance. But also, what the fuck? <laughs> and I can't explain why I know that. I just have been again, like I think I've read several authors who have used like this as a basis because it's such an old uh, ballad it's such an old story and like all the original irish and scottish folk tales about like the fairies um have been around for centuries and yeah. so i think they've had like various iterations so i think so many current authors draw from them like all authors do draw from these historical stories and legends and fairy tales um so yeah i don't know where i was going with that but i, I just put put it together and there we go i am not okay <laughs> <laughs> but so we it came up because, again, we'll circle back to it at the end, but there are elements of the Tamlin story in Thorn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And also apparently the Goose Girl. Nothing is original. There are no original no, ideas. No, not anymore. And that's okay. Uh, that's why we keep reading them because we like the stories. That is true. Um, fair. Mm, I'm sorry I'm still... for hurting you, Katie. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, uh, just assume that you're also going to be hurt in this episode because uh, this is all the sad things that oh, happen. Sad to and dark and... yeah. This is where a lot of the trigger warnings come yes, into play. A hundred percent. So um we left off with uh Alira being invited or Thorn being invited into the dinner by Kestrin. And so she kinda gets dolled up in whatever, you know, clothes that uh, Lady Valka left for her in her trunks and she picks the least gross of them and goes to this dinner. And basically, the summation of the dinner is that Kestrin, like, 100% knows that she's yeah. such a princess. <laughs> like, it, but this dinner is weird, because doesn't he, like, yeah. have her escorted to, like, a hidden room? Or no, no, that's oh, later. Oh, that's later. Ooh, mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. this one is just, like, a dinner party, and uh, she meets his cousin, and it feels like it's going to be something, something, but he's just, just a cousin. <laughs> this gives me major... Crown Duel vibes again, because yeah. doesn't Shivrayeth take, like, Meliara to a small, like, dinner party yeah. gathering to be like, these are these are my real people, like, I want yeah. you to be, like, well-read into what's actually going on in my kingdom? What the fuck? Yeah. Because uh, that's basically what this is, because it's just a tight-knit dinner party, and, you know, they have snarky commentary back and forth, but it's just all his, like, real people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of the summation of the dinner party. And then basically at the end, uh, he like pops back as she's getting back into the carriage. And she's like, oh, I didn't think that I was going to see you again. And he's like, well, I just wanted to invite you into another like party and see you one more time. And it's like, oh, so cute. <laughs> this is Prince Kestrin like trying, but trying not to look like he's trying. Yeah. Um, though it does lead into a point where you kind of wish that he would not try at all. Uh, yeah. So, uh, right. Yeah. Because. Isn't so princess so Valka is gone. Like she's out of the palace when this dinner party is held. Yeah. And so she didn't know about it until she found out about it. And, and then she was big mad. Big, big mad. And this is the depressing part. So, you know, Alira is just going about her business and then she's still sleeping in the stable with uh Falada, because that's the only place she feels comfortable until the head horser guy, horsler, osler, osler, I don't know. whatever the fuck the know. like title is for that. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of walks in and he's like, got some bad news. We got some glue to make. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that was a little dark. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jordan is just over here hurting my feelings. <laughs> it was too perfect of a Sorry, readers. But, yeah. Basically, uh, Lady Falca found out about the dinner and she's like, what the actual fuck? I'm going to hurt her, you know, where it really hurts. And she has decided that, you know, Falada is unrideable and he needs to be killed. And Alira is fucked up about it. I'm fucked up about it. Everybody's crying. I When I started the reread on this book and I met Falada as a character, everything clicked into place. And I'm like, oh, I remembered why this book is so sad. It's because the horse dies. Um, I wish I had yep. remembered that because I oh, got... Oh, no. <laughs> you didn't remember? <laughs> no. Oh, no. I got fucked up all over again. Because the whole time, every time Falada said anything, I'm like, wow, like, why don't I remember his character more? Like, he... <laughs> you blocked it out for yeah, a reason. Did yeah. you ever see I Am Legend with Will Smith? Okay, Falada <laughs> yeah. dying is like the dog dying yeah. in I Am Legend. Yeah, it's just... Really fucking sad. Uh, but but Falada asks her to do something. Yeah, and it's kind of gross. Also in the original fairy tale. Whoa. Ooh, yeah, ooh. same thing. Yeah, so this gives me like not good vibes. This is when the story gets kind of creepy and dark. Uh, basically, Falada asks that he his head is like mounted on the city wall so that he can still like watch over her, which like don't love is a concept no. <laughs> fucking creepy <laughs> no and so and it's worse when she like gets it done you know she like pawns off a necklace uh that her uh, maid gave her originally and she's kind of sad about it but it's the only money she has and it gets worse because when they describe what Falada now looks like mounted uh. onto the wall he has like grotesque stitches over his mouth and eyes it's like 
y'all are is dark <laughs> we go from like eh, ya new i light fairy tale retelling to super dark yeah. and then because we also learn more about what's going on in the city shortly right yeah and uh it kind of gives me daughter of the forest vibes this whole part yeah. where it's just like bad news after bad news uh because basically um after that uh you know, she's going up to talk to the princess at the palace to, you know, give her a piece of her fucking mind. Like, you absolute bitch. And Kestrin is like, oh, my gosh, you're here. And she's like, oh, I'm a little upset right now. And he's like, <laughs> why? Did someone die? And she's like, uh, yeah. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. yes. And he's like, ooh, isn't that good? <laughs> Joke did not land. Is this the scene where... He gives her a cloak. Uh, I think it's immediately after that. Okay. Yeah. I, so I don't wish. He, he knows that he kind of like fucked up during this because she's obviously like visibly upset that her horse was killed. And he's even like, oh, that like white horse that you walk around with all the time. And she's like, obviously that one. <laughs> the only other horse I'm hanging out with. Yeah. Yeah. And so she goes back to the stables because she's like, I'm not going to talk to, I'm done with this shit basically. And her friends at the stables, Laurel and Violet, who we haven't really talked about, but Laurel is kind of like this like matronly mom type. And then Violet, Ash and Oak, um, Ash and Oak are boys, Violet's a girl. Uh, they kind of make a found family unit or whatever. And basically they tell her like, hey, like next time there's some like bullshit from the palace like that where they're like trying to hurt you, uh, tell us and we'll find a way around it. Like you're our family, we'll deal with the palace. And it's just this cute little like found family moment in the midst of very sad grief. Uh, yeah. Except it gets a little bit more sad because um, she tries to actually talk to Falada as he's like mounted on the walls. And every time she like goes to like really say anything, all of the um, little like guards or whatever are like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, nothing and runs away. Uh, and remember that because it comes back later when she's accused of witchcraft. <laughs> and in the original um fairy tale so falada's head again is mounted on the castle gates and as the princess in the original fairy tale walks through the palace gates the horse's head calls out like oh bright to be bright to be something 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 mm -hmm. um so yeah that's the original like good for the author for staying true to it but also like why <laughs> it's, it's yeah so valka sends for um alira because there's another letter that she really needs to write. And Lyra is like, mm, I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. I love this scene. I do too. Because it's her coming into her like agency. And she's deciding mm -hmm. like, nope, if these are my circumstances, like you fucked up your end of the deal. You came after me. Like, I'm not going to help you anymore. And you see how not bright Valka is. In this moment, because she's like, here, I'll give you a mountain estate. And Alira's like, you mean the mountain estate that's rightfully mine that you stole from me as well as my body and my identity? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but Valka can't think of anything else. She's like, I need you to write this letter. And Alira's just sitting there like happy as a clam. Eh, I don't think I will. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because at the beginning of the scene, like Valka isn't there yet. And so Alira's kind of like sneaking and snooping around her rooms. And she finds letters that were intended for lady valka from her father just hanging out in her little like personal box of letters or whatever and alira has this observation like she's literally that fucking stupid that she's leaving evidence that this isn't actually her identity and she's just assuming that nobody's going to be like snooping around her stuff like have you never lived in a palace <laughs> like <laughs> exactly well and prior to like this just kind of sheds light on how valka and alira's friendship kind of deteriorated and like well did they were they ever friends to begin with yeah because shortly after this, we find out, like, why they're no longer friends. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go into it? Yeah, you should tell this story because I'm just going to get, like, big, mad and sweaty. So part of the confrontation between Valka and, and Thorne is, uh, like, a recollection of what happened when they were kids, which is Valka threw, like, a fucking hissy fit. Like, I imagine they were, like, preteens, so maybe, like, nine or ten years old. And she says that a servant, like she accused this small serving girl of stealing like a piece of jewelry, I think. It was like a brooch, a brooch, yeah. whatever that word is. <laughs> um, and when in fact Valka had taken it herself and Alira 
saw everything happen. She knows that the servant was innocent. She knows Valka was lying. And so as Valka is like protesting her innocence and accusing the servant girl and like telling the guards and whoever's there that the servant girl needs to be hanged, the servant girl is like crying and screaming and Alira, like this is Alira stepping up probably for the first and last time mm-hmm. like in her childhood to be like, actually it was Lady Valka. And it is Alira's um, proclamation that sends Valka and like ruins her reputation basically because mm-hmm. Valka was on track to marry Alira's brother and turn into like the next queen. And this basically destroyed her reputation because everyone found out that Valka was lying and she in fact was the thief. Mm-hmm. And, but it also kind of embarrassed Alira too in the moment because yeah. she was kind of called out for being basically two faced and like stabbing a fellow like aristocrat in the back because mm-hmm. i think alira even says too that this was the point when her brother and her mom started treating her different because they saw her as um outing like one of their own yeah like this, you know. it it kind of speaks to the class system that is yeah. a major issue in thorn which kind of becomes increasingly more visible as we progress through the story mm-hmm. but there's a distinct divide between the classes in this world and it's not pretty yeah um, so we get that interaction and she kind of basically tells Valka to go suck one and then leaves. Um, <laughs> except she's brought back again by Kestrin for another dinner. Except this one she's watching instead of enjoying herself. And um, she's brought into this room. You know, she has some like food laid out for her on this the table. Weird. It was super weird. I didn't like this. No. And I don't know that it was necessary. No, it seemed like an additional... I don't know. It seemed like it was supposed to be serve a purpose and it doesn't. Not yeah. The yeah. So basically she's like watching through this like one sided window, two sided. Uh, it's like, like a wooden grate. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. And so she can watch them, but they don't. Nobody knows that she's up there listening to them. And kind of the main like point I think of this is that they're asking Lady Valka or who's pretending to be the princess uh, what they're going to do during the wedding. And she's like, oh, I think that we should give, you know, apple cakes to all of the, you know, kids and orphans and lowly people. And everybody's like, oh, like what a wonderful idea. They'll like really love you if you just give them that little, you know, cake or whatever. And basically, Alira has this moment of like, that's all. Like, you pick the smallest of all of the desserts to give them, and now they're for sure going to love you. But like, what a shallow like, the thing that would hurt you or cost you the least. Yeah, but would mean the most to them. Mm-hmm. And it it's kind of like a classism moment. And mm-hmm. then Kesterin after the dinner like comes up to see her, and she's like big mad, and she's like apple cakes really, and he's like I don't know what you're talking about, and she's like. That's the least that you could give them and they don't care. And then she like barges past him or something and she's just big mad. Oh, I think it's in this scene where she is, she storms away from the dinner and she's kind of wrapped in her threadbare clothes. Oh, yeah. Right. And he sees her like basically shivering in the winter wind, like walking back to the stables. Mm -hmm. And soon after that. Yeah. He, uh, the present arrives for our dear Alira. I love this device in a story. That's fair. It's cute. It's so cute. I mean, it's been done a thousand times before, but like the hero noticing like the heroine needs something Mm -hmm. and he feels it's it's so cute. Yeah. So she unwraps it and it's like a bright like blue cloak or something, but it has like a leaf or a feather like pin on it. Oh my God. That just clicked for me. So when I. Holy fuck. When I first thought it, I thought it was from Red Hawk, and I was very confused. But it's from Prince Kestrin. I think it's a, it's a feather, right? Because I thought it was a feather, right? Because it symbolizes something else. What does it symbolize? The she's like flapping her <laughs> arms, and I. <laughs> there are no thoughts happening in this brain. <laughs> but I don't want to spoil anything for. Um, we'll keep this in our pocket yeah, and come, come back, back to it. it. Yeah, don't um, spoil anything. I thought it was from Red Hawk, and I'm like, well, I nice. just did interpretive dance for Katie. No <laughs> <Really>? results. <laughs> you were so lucky too. We have like a curtain on this window that we're facing because otherwise, it's just your neighbors watching you like uh, flap your arms. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, uh, she gets the cloak, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Lady Valka sends for Alira again, and 
the girl is probably getting her steps in the number of times that she, she goes has back and forth <laughs> to the palace. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, Velka's getting a little bit more desperate because her mother has sent her another letter that's like, why the fuck aren't you responding? We're on our way right now. Um, and Valka is like, okay, like I will give you this estate if you write this final letter. And Illyria is again like, lol, you're so disconnected from your circumstances, my circumstances, what's happening, like big fat no. And so um, Illyria goes, you know, out about her day. She goes into the pasture. And I think this is when she finds the wind again. But I'm like, not really sure. Uh, the wind from before. Yeah. The- and the wind says, like, it's, yeah. you're here, here, <laughs> like, and, uh, like, Alira Thorne is very happy and to see her friend because mm-hmm. she views the wind as a friend. Yeah. And I think it's in this scene where the wind actually makes a full sentence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, wow, like, what the fuck? Like, you're weird. really excited to see me. <laughs> but in the context now that we know how everything ends, that mm-hmm. makes way more sense for why the wind can speak a little bit more. That does. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And she basically says that she's been telling the wind, like, everything from yeah. her entire life. <laughs> yeah. Like, mortifying. <laughs> Childhood secrets. <laughs> I would die. Uh, and you find out immediately after why I would die because, oh, no, it, we there's more later. sadness, more <laughs> sadness to go through. Hold off your death for now. Uh, so Violet has been like a secondary character consistently mm-hmm. and she's like the pretty one, I think. Mm-hmm. But she's very sweet. And, so and it's she's, sad, too, because she has like a lover. She's got like a she's... boyfriend that she's been meeting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, Alira goes or Thorne goes back to the stables and Violet is missing like she went out to go into town and she hasn't come back and it's late at night and everyone is starting to get worried including her brothers and so they send out a team of men to look for her and they can't find her and this is where Thorne really steps up mm-hmm. it is so she goes out and she's like, "No, what? I got this homeboy who owes me a favor. Like, this is... <laughs> you know got a I mean? homeboy. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has someone that, you know, very interesting circumstances mm-hmm. that she came into. And so she's like, okay, Red Hawk, like, I really need this favor. I'll pay you anything. And he's like... <laughs> payment like i owe you a debt we're good i got you (laughs) yeah and so he's like you know what just go back to the house i'll send someone back in an hour if we've found her but like we will find your friend and she's like okay thank god like somebody's like gonna handle this and so she gets back to the stables they're waiting they're waiting and it's really uh tense and sad and you kind of are hopeful that they're going to find violet and then uh, when they do you're like oh I wish they hadn't almost Um, because Red Hawk does successfully, you know, his men do find her and she is in not good shape. No. And this is so I think the author handled this scene or like this um, sequence of events really well. I think so. Without actually articulating what really happened. Yeah. So Violet is found. She's unconscious. She's beaten horribly very much so um there's a line and this is going to sound very graphic Mm -hmm. but i think it's it shows how well the author handled the scene and it's a way you can handle such violent scenes and such like graphic um issues um gracefully Mm -hmm. and so thorn is helping clean violet up and she makes a comment that she wasn't certain if the blood near her ankle or near her foot uh, was from an injury there or from from another location. Mm. I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. but like that, if you can piece that together, um, that's what happened to to Violet. Yeah. So she never outright says what happened. She was raped and mm-hmm. beaten to death, nearly. Yeah, because I, I think it's kind of um, interesting. So when I first read this, I didn't realize to what extent Violet had been like brutalized because it kind of it reads that she was just like beaten and there's kind of like allusions to other things happening. But it's interesting because um, Alira eventually goes back to, you know, thank Red Hawk for what he did and for finding her. And Red Hawk is the only one that like in very black and white terms like addresses what happened to Violet. Like everyone uses this very like metaphorical language about, you know, she was brutalized. She was attacked etc and he he's the only one in the story that says she was beat and raped and it's kind of a, a required moment i think of you can't 
just use this like kind of flowery metaphorical language for something this horrible. Like it sometimes requires just saying exactly what it is to really like understand the circumstances and especially when Red Hawk's role is now to like bring justice to that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a it's a requirement to like say it for what it is instead of using this like, you know, kind of metaphorical like illusionary words around it and then say like this is what happened. We are demanding justice. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a nice, like refreshing Yeah, I think handled well. The progression of how everything played out. Cause I think we're it's hard to find a balance. I I think it's hard to find a balance for certain authors, right? In going into too much detail yeah. and being graphic in the moment mm-hmm. versus uh discussing what happened by like other characters around them. Yeah. So like like you said, calling out like, no, this is what happened to this character, absolutely necessary. But describing in detail like as it's happening, yeah. not so much. And I think we see that in Daughter of the Forest. That's where the line gets a little mm-hmm. murky. Where um yeah, because sort of related, did you ever watch 13 Reasons Why? No. Uh, yeah. It was really brutal. But it was interesting because there's a scene in one of the episodes where they actually show her suicide. And uh, there was a bunch of outrage about that episode because I guess you're like the best way to handle the topic of suicide is you never actually show the act because that can kind of like um, it can trigger people. Yeah. And it can like uh, influence them into completing suicide. And so it's an interesting I wonder if there's like parallels between where you can talk about it and you can talk about the after effects, but there's no reason to talk about the act itself mm-hmm. if it's like similar for sexual assault and rape in books and movies hmm. so i don't know it might be an interesting if any of our readers are like um do research or outreach like mm-hmm. i would be interested to know if that's mm-hmm. like the best way to handle those because there there are definitely books where it's like mm, is that really necessary to go into that detail like it's a truth that a lot of people have lived and i don't know that they would necessarily appreciate it being like put back in their face again while mm-hmm. they're just trying to live their life but i don't i don't know it it really thinking about it and how authors handle it uh, makes me angry when i think of how tv producers handle yeah. it like i'd say the biggest violator of like not finding a balance or anything in the game of thrones mm-hmm. yeah like, really like okay uh, apparently it sells yeah and it's interesting too so i read another article about game of thrones and it was basically a dismantling of um the concept of like women is lesser and like rape is it use for control and how it's unnecessary in a fantasy land that we have created. Like, why does this fantasy land have to follow along the same lines of society? Like, why? Why? And it's like, I never thought about Mm -hmm. that. Like, if you're creating this whole land from your imagination, like, why do we need to include that as a reality? It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's a interesting because yeah i don't (laughs) yeah you brought that up and when we were discussing daughter of the forest Mm. too and it's i think we came to like no conclusion at all because you can find reasons to include it like Mm -hmm. valuable reasons i think it's the manner which you which it's handled interesting to note because we've been watching k-dramas and k-dramas are very clean yeah um, I haven't watched a lot of like darker ones, like psychological or action thrillers with the level of gore and violence. I don't know how, like, I don't know what the line is on like on their production value, mm-hmm. but I like, I know we wouldn't get like a violent rape scene like we would see yeah. in Game of Thrones in a like any of like a Korean produced drama. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think so. I think we talked about that too, because um, in French filmmaking, um, love and like sexually explicit scenes are like totally like the norm and like oh yeah that's titties like okay Mm -hmm. cool but violence is like a no-no like that's when your rating goes up and so it's interesting that in like american culture it's reversed and then in korean culture it's like you probably won't get more than like a kiss because like why do we need it like why do we need to see that you see that on the news yeah like why do we need that in our media yeah and i'm not i'm not advocating for censoring anything no yeah just but it's also uh intent i think matters like what is your intent in having this rape scene is it just to make this character seem like more powerful or like controlling and like is there a way that you can do that without subjugating women or even subjugating like men too like Mm -hmm. i don't know that we need to give this uh form of control and like power dynamics such a big like 
role in media mm-hmm. and things we consume. That's a threat every day of your life. Like, yeah. I don't need to be reminded. <laughs> but not in our escapism. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that this book handled it well. And especially, too, when the next scene is, like, her brothers. And I don't know if they're her actual brothers. No, but they feel like it. Yeah. They go to the the castle or the palace and they, like, basically are demanding justice. They're like, the dude that did this, there's no way that he's not bragging about it. Like, this is insane. You guys need to do something. And it's frustrating because the captain is basically like, how would we be able to find the guy? And they're like, you? That is your whole job? Ask questions. <laughs> go to the town. Find yeah. out. Like, it's interview people? Like, that is, like the bare bones of your job and basically they come back and they're like the dude will not fucking do shit about this and alira is like i again know someone who will do something and so she goes to kestrin and she's like hey my friend oh this scene made me so mad big mad yeah because you have to think from alira's perspective like this is a man that she has some form of trust with and Mm -hmm. she's like he's the prince of this land like he can probably do something. And she's like, hey, my friend was brutalized. The captain said that he can't do anything. Can you do something? And his response... Oh my God, I wanted to stab this character. This is the opposite of a competency kink. This is like an anti... I'll see... Basically, I'll see what I can do is what Prince Kestrin says. Like, that is it. That is the entire summation of their interaction, which is my friend was brutally beaten and raped I know we can find these men. What can you do, Prince Kestrin? Prince Kestrin? Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds like a job for the castle guard, but I'll see what I can do. (laughs) It made me so mad because literally, he literally said, well, I mean, like, I normally trust him with these things. So if that's what he says, you know, I'm... I'm inclined to believe him. It's like, you motherfucker. Also, he's a sorcerer. (laughs) (laughs) Like, use some of your fucking magic to figure out this crime. And so Thorne is ticked. Yeah. And so she does what uh, any reasonable person with a very high, powerful thief friend. She's like, hey, Red Hawk, uh, the actual justice system in this uh, world does not work. Uh, let's use some like, you know, mob justice. And he's like, I am here for it. And she we again get into more of the like justice system and like how it only works for the rich people. And you have the second justice system that only works for poor people that is made by the people themselves. And the palace is mad about that because like alternate justice systems are like somewhat questionable vigilante justice. Uh, but it's interesting because uh, she's like, OK, but how am I going to pay for this? Because this is kind of a big ask like you were asking to go find people and then hang them small interruption yeah we talked last episode about the comparisons to tamora pierce's total universe uh this is the thief and the king Uh right yeah like mere (laughs) copy a (laughs) hundred percent what yeah and so i think that's why i got bamboozled because i thought so i was rooting for Kestrin. I'm like, okay, they got some like snarky dialogue. Like he like knows her. Like this is cool. Uh, But then we get this scene where he's like, well, I don't know. I'll see what I can do about it. And then she goes to the thief and he's like, I will handle it. And I was like, oh, okay. So he's the love interest now, right? (laughs) No. No. And it made me upset. And now I know I like the love in this the book. It's like cute. But at that point, it was kind of like a, "Mm, you're not so redeemable to me. I'm so Jordan is like, (laughs) she is gazing off into the distance, (laughs) eyes glazed over. (laughs) There's so many parallels to Tamora Pierce's book. There's a lot. It's just the characters different, like the main heroine. Yeah. But everything else is super similar. Okay. Well, yeah. But go Red Hawk. Yeah, honestly. Because he immediately finds these fuckers and then uh, brings them into the square He's set up this whole, like, informal, formal hanging. Oh, man. And they were fucked up when they are hanging like, from the noose. Like, yeah, whipped before yeah, they were up. Because yeah. I think Red Hawk says something about, like, they need to, their their end cannot be quick. Like, they need to experience yeah. the pain of what they committed. Yeah. And it, you whoop. feel satisfied. You're like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. do it. <laughs> and I think um, he's, like, either, he said that to Alira or something, but, like, when you, 
when Alira stumbles upon the hanging, uh, there's just like an arrow stuck through the like wood thing with like uh, three hawk feathers hanging from it. And like, what a fucking, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) vigilante justice, but like make it hot. (laughs) So the commentary on like justice as a theme in this book is really interesting because Red Hawk says like sometimes we need to serve like a violent justice to protect or to prevent and deter oh. uh, people from from committing these acts again, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting commentary on yeah. justice from the author. Because eh, I don't does know deterrence that... actually work? Because a yeah. lot of things it doesn't. Yeah, like, and it's hard too because in this scene it makes you feel good. You're like, fuck yeah, they needed to be made as the example but it's like statistics don't really show that that's necessarily the case and also like a court hearing (laughs) yeah (laughs) there was no like judge how do we know that these are the right dudes (laughs) yeah but we trust red hawk you know competency (laughs) and i think this is where like the fantasy element comes in like oh this this is the kind of escapism and violence that you would want and thing is like oh justice actually gets carried out against Mm -hmm. the right people yeah uh does not work in the real world though i will say um maybe this is now the time to talk about it uh well no, I think it's a little bit later. But uh, when we actually do get an example of the justice system working as it's supposed to, oh. uh, it doesn't work at all. So maybe mm. <laughs> Red Hawk's uh, version of justice that's, is maybe. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So the next scene or whatever, you know, the men are hung. Justice has been served. Um, she goes out with Corbet again with the uh, geese. And all of a sudden, um, he is, I'm not skipping anything, right? Um, I think there's like a combination of circumstances that happen. Um, Alira is passing through the gates one, like this is at some point in mm-hmm. the scenes we've discussed, but she's walking through the palace gates and, uh, Falada's head actually speaks to her and oh, calls yeah. her princess as she's walking through. And there's guards nearby that like witness that, <laughs> yeah. witness her talking to the dead horse's head. Ugh, I... This scene kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies because you can just fucking imagine how bent out of shape that soldier is that was like watching like this horse with like fucked up stitches over its mouth is like talking now and this woman is responding like ain't no way I do not get paid enough for this shit. (laughs) You no wonder she got reported. Yeah, honestly. Uh in yeah she got reported uh and accused of witchcraft yeah uh which is illegal yeah but first we have this really additionally horrible scene in the field yeah uh she's walking with corbet and all of a sudden they're far enough away that uh they're no longer seen and corbet is like i have protection from someone at the palace uh i'm basically going Fuck to you about that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm basically going to hurt you and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And she's Except like, someone can. Uh, yes. And this is where Kestrin makes a comeback. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. This scene was very satisfying, but at the same time, like, I still wasn't quite certain what was happening oh, until, 100%. like, it smacked me in the face. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's yeah. Corbe, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Corbe is attacking her and then... Doesn't the witch appear? Mm, yes. Yeah. So he's, so Corbe's attacking Alira. Alira's fighting back. And then all of a sudden, this like wind like yeets the fuck out of him. And then the lady appears and she's like, Aren't you thankful that I did this for you? And she's like, What is happening right now? But then Kestrin runs in on the horse and he's like, I was actually the one that was doing that. What no. are you talking about? Oh, wait. I think it played out. I think it played out slightly different because I thought, so Corbe's attacking her like wind cyclone, like kicks the shit out of him Mm -hmm. and then the lady like the witch appears and says look and see who your wind truly is oh yeah see this scene was really confusing so it does not surprise me that we have different like okay remembrance of (laughs) well okay so the the witch says that to a thorn and she's like what the fuck it's just my friend the wind and then then she sees kestrin galloping like gallantly on his horse that makes more sense yeah Yeah. so kestrin is the wind kestrin is the wind which means everything have so much more significance later yeah. on. Okay, so uh, the thing in my pocket from the first episode, we're pulling it back out. Uh, wouldn't Kestrin have known the whole time that that wasn't the princess if he was like talking to her through the wind her whole entire life? Okay, okay. So we had we had a long sidebar. We had to turn our <laughs> mics off. So Katie and I, because we, we, we were confused. F- yeah, <laughs> we both read like certain scenes differently and remembered different orders of events here. So... There is a scene where 
in the very beginning when Kestrin visits her in her bedroom very creepily at oh, night. Yeah. And the, she doesn't know it's, <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't know it's Prince Kestrin, it's just this random sorcerer. He says to her that he like wanted to see her. Oh yeah. Like he wanted to see her with his own eyes mm-hmm. for the first time. And I think that's your clue in later. And then the witch says that he couldn't see her or like the wind. Mm-hmm. So as the wind, he was like exerting his magical influence across thousands of miles, apparently. Oh, yeah. And it's like takes a really incredibly powerful sorcerer to do that. Yeah. To like a specific bedroom. <laughs> yeah. So the wind has been her companion since childhood. But because it's the wind, it can't actually see her. It just recognizes her spirit, I think. Mm. But I mean, like, wouldn't he know that like. This adorable girl who's very gentle and was bullied by her brother. Now all of a sudden she's been like told bitch, like didn't raise any red flags. (laughs) So there's another scene about halfway through where the wind makes a reappearance, right? Like, so she's she's been in mine. I forget the name of the country now. Manaya. Manaya. So she's been working in Manaya for a while and she's out in the pasture and the wind hasn't been like, hasn't visited her in months. Mm -hmm. Not since she left the wind like circles around her feet. And that's the scene where the wind is like, Hey, sorry. It took me so long. It's like the first time the wind strings the sentence together. Oh, mm -hmm. and I think it's that moment where the prince realizes that it's her. Okay. So that would make sense. Cause that's about like, when Halfway? he starts making more direct overtures about like, hey, princess. And she's like, what do you mean, I'm princess? Not the princess. <laughs> yeah, it's like, girl, who are you convincing? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But still, I was like, wait a second. Well, if he's the wind and then uh, the Velka is the, the princess in disguise, then how did. But then you think uh, about yeah. how if she's been talking to the wind since she was a kid and the wind has been her constant companion. And now we have this mystery of why this big, powerful kingdom actually wanted her as a bride and it's because prince kestrin was like basically practicing his magic stumbled across her as a child made friends with her and decided without any like consent from her or like development like oh this is the girl i want to marry i'm going to ask my dad to go on a delegation that's how she was selected because she was friends with the wind so it is interesting uh, when we use this with the parallels with uh, Elena, uh, the Tortle series mm-hmm. or whatever, because I feel like they had similar problems where the prince in her, like there was too much history almost for them to have like an actual working romantic relationship. And so the author kind of spun it off to go be with the thief. But it's interesting that in this, Intisarkahani chose to still make them together despite all of the weirdness. And the next couple scenes that also add weirdness. You know what I mean? Well, and ultimately, so I guess we can move forward in the next few scenes. because So she's attacked, which appears, which is like, I don't really give a shit about you, little (laughs) princess. I'm here for him. And she threatens, it's the invisible choker Mm -hmm. around. And so she starts strangling a thorn right in front of Prince Kestrin. He does the typical romantic hero moment. And Take says, me instead. Take me instead. <laughs> Don't hurt her. And he, which is like, great, that's what I wanted. And <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so he goes off with the witch and is kidnapped and Thorn is like released. Yeah. To just chill on her own. I think she just, uh, yeah, because she takes his horse and she like goes up to the city gates and they're like, saw the prince leaving on that horse and now he's gone uh you need to come with us hey witch what's (laughs) going on this is great circumstances uh you're now on trial for witchcraft yeah super dark yeah and it's uh we can get a little bit into the uh trial and there's air quotes heavy air quotes around the trial trial? i don't remember yeah Because basically, uh, they it's like a board and they just accuse her of witchcraft. They're like, you were seen talking to this like horse that's mounted on the wall. That's pretty weird. That's pretty sus. Um, you've been talking to the wind and, you know, the goose boy was reporting that. And then the goose boy also reported that you're doing some other sketchy stuff. And she's like, um, were there any like witnesses to any of this? And they're like, yeah, the goose boy. And it's like, okay. That's, and all, that's all you got? Is he the only witness? And they're like, that's the only one we need. It's like, oh. <laughs> okay. can i like maybe like listen to the evidence and they're like we heard it earlier you don't need to hear it and she's like eh, i know that that's all the justice is justice <laughs> dun dun <laughs> law and order <laughs> uh yeah so now we kind of understand why red hawk was just having you know uh extrajudicial 
hangings authority yeah, yeah power kind of checks out um yeah so she is basically about to be uh burned, burned at, at the, the stake, stake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and one of the lords who's been kind of in the background just like hanging out um one of the trusted advisors Tells her some really weird stuff. He's like, hey, just, uh, you know, this <laughs> go is- talk to the fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to flower it up, but that's basically what he tells her. <laughs> uh, but also weird that she just does it. I know. <laughs> She's like, okay. And, and it's funny, too, because he says, like, speak your truth. And <laughs> Although, like, white woman, like, speak your truth. <laughs> My truth is not your truth. <laughs> speak it into the fire. So she basically, like, whispers everything that has been happening. It's in, dumb. Including the body swap. And then she kind of looks at the fireplace and she's like, this looks a little weird. She doesn't remember the one great thing that she was hidden behind. Like, she literally was behind. This, this felt like the author couldn't figure out how to get her out of the situation yeah. and needed, like, a week yeah moment to be like how can i set this up to move the story forward it was a little bizarro uh because then the king pops out it's just the king (laughs) chilling behind a fire listening to a prisoner's confession because he has nothing better to do as the king of a mighty empire yeah the whole thing was really weird and then he's like oh yeah you're the princess i kind of knew it but like thank you for validating that uh and then he invites her to dinner she goes to the dinner and this part is like really fucking dark isn't oh is this before or after the scene with the witch and prince kestrin oh this is before oh shit yeah uh so she's sitting at dinner she's kind of at the tail end of the the table and the king is next to the princess and all of a sudden he kind of interrupts everyone and he's like hey princess uh what do you think you would do if you know in these like <laughs> crazy circumstances if someone was impersonating the princess and like was you know giving a bunch of rumors about her and calling her a bitch and like she was being like disrespectful what would you do to someone like that and valka is like oh let me tell you because she thinks that they're talking about thorn um and she's like i would shove her in a barrel uh nailed through with uh nails and then i would have her dragged behind a bunch of horses through the streets until she died and he's like well (laughs) jeopardy you won uh take her away (laughs) for word from the original fairy tale wild sounds like her an original fairy tale yeah it does because that's really fucking that's fucked up yeah (laughs) that's like some saw shit also like Belka is so dumb. I, I guess. Like, like, really? You, you couldn't see that room. <laughs> read the room. Like, how did you not know? But I, that is something to be said about, like, people that are conceited or self-centered. They, like, think that everyone else is also living in their own world, like, in their world. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, everyone hates her. Like, we're 100% talking about her. Like, girl, open your eyes. That's a very eyes. valid point. Like, it's hard to like understand those types of people mm-hmm. and characters but they're out there yeah, yeah the worldview is just so like okay disconnected from reality yeah and yeah. so she gets dragged out by a bunch of guards uh not good and everyone at the table is a very confused and alira is horrified yeah like, and it's not justice yeah and i kind of love that about her character because she's immediately like uh you know my lord or whatever you call kings uh that's kind of fucked up like can we maybe not do that much and he's like you're really trying to advocate for someone that literally took your body and place this is what we do to traitors and she's like oh but we just hang her instead which i kind of liked like, I like she was an, oh, no, save her life and send her off to work in a workhouse. No, it was like, a, you can still kill her, I but, know. like, make it a little <laughs> bit more merciful. <laughs> I did not even think about that. Like, I didn't think about other options besides hanging. That's death. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. Have, hmm. have you seen Ever After yet? Uh, I know you yeah. have. You, did you watch With, it? With uh, Drew Barrymore? Yeah. Yeah, it was cute. It's a comfort movie for sure. So the scene at the very end where she's like her stepsister and her mother, she's like, go send them off to the Americas or send them, find them a job. Yeah. Like I, ex- you would expect that kind of response from yeah. like a Princess Alira type character. Yeah. You know, she was just like, yeah, death is fine, but maybe get like less aggressive death. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so everything's kind of wrapped up, except, you know, uh, his name is not Kristen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Prince Kestrin. Kestrin, there we go. <laughs> Kestrin is still, you know. Kidnapped in, by the witch. Yeah, and Alira's like, we should probably Do maybe. something about that. Yeah, help. And so she calls for the lady, and the lady's like, bet. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's actually exactly what happens. I, yeah. Do you want to talk about the trials? Yes. Okay. This is kind of where we come into the comparisons to Tamlin, the original mm-hmm. ballad. So the witch comes, she has like a little powwow with Alira, and she's like, hey, we don't use the word powwow. Oh, I'll censor that. <laughs> I guess it's disrespectful. That makes sense. Yeah. Let it, me. I use it all the time, too, and I'm like, that's a valid point. Restarting. <laughs> the witch comes to Alira, and they have like a, like basically a girl chat, like a it's, one-on-one, yeah. where she's like, hey, listen, this is what happened to my mom. She, <laughs> she, and she shows Princess Alira uh, like a vision of her childhood, where she... Yeah. This is awful. Horrendous. Oh, my God. Like, where, where previously we had a little bit of censoring going yeah. on with the no, level of violence. No, no censoring. Not at all. So, uh, Alira gets to watch as this woman <laughs> is um, pinned to a tree and her hands are stabbed by daggers to the tree. And then this man takes a sword out and basically guts her. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Ugh. In front of her child. In front of her child. And then the woman is screaming and is in so much pain, she rips her own hands off the tree Ugh. through the daggers to hold her intestines in and then dies. And the man yeah. who did this looks disturbingly like Prince Kestrin. Yeah. It's his great great grandfather. Um, yeah. This is the witch's history. She has been persecuting uh, Prince Kestrin's family for generations, taking yeah. them out one by one. She is basically murdering the entire family line. Which, I don't know, I might do I, that too. Yeah, um, yeah. She was, like, talking about her evidence, and I'm like, the lady's got something. Like, no. But you kind of get a glimpse into the witch as a character. And she's yeah. she's described as not quite human. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah. like, otherworldly. Or... Made of fire. Yeah. And, oh, actually, that connects, because doesn't Falada tell her about, like, oh, the, there's people made of fire and mm-hmm. earth, and people made of, like, dust and air? Yeah, like, horses are made of fire and earth, humans are made of earth, and then sorcerers are made out of fire. So it's almost like the djinn parallel, like, yeah. djinns are made out of... but uh, this makes sense that the witch is, if this is a comparison to the Tamlin fairy tale, mm. and the witch is a fairy, mm-hmm. uh, oh. not other human, and so she takes Prince Kestrin. That makes sense. So... We flash back to where the the witch is holding Prince Kestrin, and she walks Alira through this garden, and she sees a statue, and it's a statue of uh, Prince Kestrin's grandfather, kind of like slumped over, like defeated. Good for him; he needed to be like turned I, yeah. into a statue, like, <laughs> crush that statue into yep. a million pieces. <laughs> but then Prince Kestrin has a similar fate, and he's also been turned into a statue. And so Alira kind of engages in this negotiation with the witch to be like, "Do you really need to be as violent as as?" his grandfather was and like he has hope prince kestrin isn't like his his ancestors mm-hmm. and so the witch offers her a deal to be like okay well if you can get through my three tests there's always three tests yep. when it comes to furries <laughs> yeah um then i'll release him and you can be free and so i think it's the first test that he's turned into things is that right uh i think that might be the second one because the first one um alira wakes up and she's in the lady's body oh and uh she's talking with kestrin and kestrin is like on the verge of murdering her kestrin's like in a dreamscape yeah and i think it's it's his soul or his heart and it's all like barren and rocky wasteland which (laughs) red flag yeah Uh (laughs) um and basically Alira has to pretend to be the lady in a way that's convincing enough that he won't kill her, but also will believe that it's her. And it's basically just, you know, like, uh, don't allow yourself to feel hate. And, you know, she's just trying to get revenge. And yeah, because she tells Prince Kestrin, like, I have no power here. This Mm -hmm. is your world. And so in the lady, the witch's body, she has no magic and can't attack. And so it's a test for Kestrin to be like, are you going to attack an unarmed person who's Mm -hmm. doing nothing to you despite like all appearances Mm -hmm. and like he passes the first test Mm -hmm. like after much like bitching yeah and then the second test i think is when he gets turned into like animals yeah i think the second test is um maybe it is the first test one of the two one (laughs) of the tests he's turned into a bunch of like rabid animals that attack her or something and Mm -hmm. she has to like not die and like convince him to like and hold Mm -hmm. on to him throw back to the original tamlin fairy tale where, mm-hmm. which we talked about already yeah um so 
they path path they pass <laughs> <laughs> they do path we've been talking for too long uh-huh. so they pass both tests and she's having a one-on-one with the lady again and Kestrin's kind of back in his like statue state mm-hmm. and she manages to convince the witch to not hold the third test i think it's because um she's gotten like yeeted by these tests and the lady's taking care of her um because she has like puncture marks in her chest and her arm is like really burnt and she's like no what like i kind of like you and i like respect you for doing all of this and like you're gonna get fucked up by a third trial like just take your homeboy and like go like it's fine and i think even alira is like Really? That seems like a trick. Like, are you sure? And she's like, uh, don't. It's something snarky. Like, you can do it if you want to, but like, get the fuck out. (laughs) It was kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, it was a little bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess Kestrin wakes up and they all go back to the castle. Basically, because she kind of is in her like princess suites and she gets better. And then like a week goes by. And then she finally talks to Kestrin for the first time and everything's like really awkward, which like, he explains like the wind thing and all of that yeah they have like another fuck you valka moment yeah where like she's hung yeah like she explains to kestrin like hey valka's bad but like we shouldn't be awful about the whole barrel kind of you know a throwback to the lesson you just learned like are we really not going to apply that to now this parallel situation yeah (laughs) but there so there's also a scene where they kind of reflect on or alira reflects on her relationship with kestrin yeah and there's a commentary about how like she can't quite feel love for him yet Mm -hmm. because of everything that they've been through and how they haven't had enough time yet and i thought that was a very mature ending yeah I agree. Because she even says, too, like, I respect him and I trust him, but, like, maybe love will stem from that. And it's like, oh, okay, that's refreshing. Thank you for not just immediately launching them into lovey-doveyness. <laughs> so I guess if you're not really looking for, a like, a rom- fantasy romance, mm-hmm. this is not the quite the book for you. Yeah. Like, it's very strongly implied, but, like, the overt romance nature isn't there. Mm-hmm. And I could see some people being dissatisfied with the way this ends. I could see that, but I feel like, and maybe it comes from the place that we've read so much of this, like, fantasy um, story structure, mm-hmm. that I feel like I kind of expected that at the front end. Like, I knew this wasn't going to be, like, totally, like, romancy. Mm-hmm. Just from the way it's structured, you're like, oh, okay. So There's not enough more... buildup in the beginning. Yeah. Switch. So yeah. I but mean, you feel okay about it. Yeah. I didn't, I feel like romance would be slightly out of place in it almost. I. It almost feels, what's that one that we just read? It's the Regency fairy tale one. Oh, Half the Soul. It kind of feels like that. The oh, pacing a little bit. Like, I could see that. The romance angle is much stronger in Half a Soul, but mm-hmm. it feels the same yeah Mm -hmm. i think it's probably the same structure because i mean you have all the buildup of things being like weird and out of place and then they finally you know confront whatever fairy entity is making things happen and then it's over Mm -hmm. it also feels i'm looking behind you at the rows of books Mm -hmm. the romance in this in this book like very little there is feels like howl's moving castle oh sorcerer yeah. meek heroine uh, a lot of action they work together and solve like the crisis yeah and then there's an implied romance but not really yeah did you ever see the movie i loved the movie i love the movie too i, saw- I love his character and the fact that it's uh voiced by christian bale oh that's half the reason i saw the movie oh, i Lord. saw that movie in theaters i was really because it came out like right after i read the book uh-huh. uh loved it i was yeah. counting down Oh my god! I was at. Um, <laughs> we're going through like a whole. <laughs> we're going through a moment. I was at the Starbucks drive-through of like several weeks ago, and the barista reached through to hand me her coffee cup, and she had calcifer, <gasps> the little fire guy, uh-huh. just like tattooed on her forearm, and that was like the best. I looked at her like, <laughs> Howl's Moving Castle, Howl's Moving Castle, and we like had this whole moment of bonding. Oh, over. I love it. Was it. Super cute. But back to Thorn. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I feel like um it's kind of in that genre of yeah storytelling like fairy tale fantasy with a touch of romance um it's not it doesn't feel fully immersive yeah you know those stories that you feel like you're part of the story yeah or like you feel so invested in the main character mm-hmm. 
it's not that. Yeah. I would say um, Uprooted, I feel like, kind of follows a similar fairy tale retelling structure, but that does feel immersive. Mm -hmm. So if you, like, want that kind of experience, I feel like that's a good one to do because you fall into that one. But this one, you're kind of, like, you're reading it. Yeah. You're you're kind of half a step removed, but it's okay. You never feel like you want to put it down. Yeah. You can put it down Mm -hmm. and not, like feel like you're missing anything but because yeah. i busted through this in like a day and a half yeah and that was only because i was playing hogwarts legacy fair. also <laughs> i was watching k-dramas yeah, so fair. yeah but, but it is one you could read all at once yeah and this is the end mm-hmm. like yeah. so everything gets tidied up really nicely mm-hmm. um but it does feel kind of weird because like the ending scene is that valka's hanging and then her body switches back and everybody's like whoa that's freaky uh, and then that's it. It's a kind of abrupt ending. It's weird. And I would imagine if you were going to develop the characters in the storyline out more, especially the romance angle between Prince Kestrin and um, Alira. Alira, wouldn't there be some conflicts with like the level of attractiveness? Like, yeah. oh, you've created this relationship yeah. more with Alira in Valka's body, and Valka is described as this beautiful like yeah. woman. Meanwhile. Alira in has been acting like in Alira's body has been acting bitchy and yeah. bratty. Like, would you find that attractive? And how would that mess with your head? Yeah, I didn't even think about that because now too, even though everyone obviously knows about this like body switching thing, you still would have those notions when you see that person for the first time. Mm-hmm. So like, it's exactly what happened earlier in the story with the guards and them being like cold to Alira when Valka first switches into her body. It's the exact same thing that would probably happen now. Like all the street kids are going to be like, who the fuck are you? Like, and maybe where's the redhead? <laughs> like love is blind doesn't work yeah. for this very reason, because yeah. like relationships have some foundation in like physical attractiveness yeah, or not attractiveness as a thing. But yeah. like there is a connection between what your brain, like what you see and then what you hear. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it can influence your thoughts and behaviors towards that person catfishing i feel like that's a good example yeah 100 percent. it'd be i it would be fun if there was a second book in the love interest was switched to red hawk Mm. so it pulls one of those like akatar things but it it stems from like those issues where they just have too much baggage and maybe they like do the you know betrothal thing for a while and they're like this is not working like my friend was brutally murdered and raped and you didn't do anything uh you were pretending to be the wind for my whole childhood uh <laughs> they needed in order to strengthen the relationship between kestrin and alira they needed more scenes of her growing up with the wind yeah and that relationship existing there because mm-hmm. we never see it no that uh, is true that's a good uh pointer because i think i'd focus so much on the red hawk angle because they do have several like three or four interactions where they have like very significant deep conversations about like significant issues and you're like okay this feels it feels like her conversations with red hawk are as deep as those with kestrin yeah deeper yeah so that's why i got bamboozled by this like red herring named red hawk like oh you know (laughs) (laughs) i felt a little smart when i was doing that uh but it was like wait a second but I don't know, because even at the end of the during the hanging or something, we get a little like eye spot with Red Hawk and he like kind of gives her the nod like, yeah, you're back in your body, huh? And then he like disappears into the crowd. So it's just like, who is that guy? Like, was he just there for help? Can we find out? Can we find out live (laughs) if Red Hawk gets his own story? Like, what is the second book? I know, because it'd be fun, too, if he got some totally different story arc where there's like some nurse a helper doctor figure and they have a relationship or something <sighs> i don't know but i mean so that's good though yeah so that's that's thorn yeah oh <laughs> yeah before back we, to like be, what the actual story is before we get sidetracked too much yeah so yeah it was good it's really short it's one of those that um if it's a little bit cloudy and overcast and you're kind of like it's a saturday or a day off and you're like i don't really want to do anything i'm just gonna sit and read this is a nice one that it's like not gonna give you a book hangover necessarily our next book will give you a book hangover uh we're reading master of crows next right Mm -hmm. fuck it gives me a book i'm like kind of dreading reading it because i know i'm gonna have a hangover after (laughs) 
I might read the second one in the story after. Oh, what's it called? Uh, a storm of crows or, or chrome storm? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can picture it. I made that up. Yeah. Flight of ravens or something. Yeah. I heard it's not quite as good as the first one, so I'm kind of a little bit hesitant, but it'll be a treat to... I don't know. I don't need a second book in the That story. is true. That was a surprising one that I'm like, there's so many other books that need second books that the one maybe did not. Yeah. yeah. So brace yourselves. And it's also long too, mm-hmm. right, Master of Crows is? Yeah. It doesn't feel long, though, because <laughs> there's enough smut to, like, get you through it without realizing how long it is. Uh, I will say, yes, this is a spicy read that we're going to do. <laughs> I am I'm excited for it. Yeah, because it's been a while since you've read it, right? Yeah, I've only read it once. Oh, okay. I've never I've read, read it, it. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> um, like two or three times. Uh, it's it, okay. So, readers, listen to how candid and like casual Jordan is right now because she's going to get so Victorian lady when she actually oh picks this God, book up again. I'm already embarrassed. <laughs> it's uh, it's a spicy read. So, but honestly, it's the best. Like dollar ninety nine, four ninety nine. Yeah. It, it, buy this fucking book. It's so good. <laughs> we just ordered the hard copy versions, which you can find. I found our hard copies through ABE Books. Mm. So they're en route. But it's like an indie publisher. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like I couldn't. I looked on Amazon to find the, like the hard copy and you can't. Interesting. So support. That makes sense. Yeah. That? Small businesses. And Grace Draven also, I think, is fighting cancer right now. The author of the book where she is almost in remission. So just like read the book and give her a little bit of extra support because I can't imagine how crippling that is to a family. Yeah. Yeah. Master of Crows, though. God damn. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm so excited. I cannot wait to read this book again. So anyways, from our shelf to yours. We'll see you on the next page. Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday and Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. Thanks for listening. Bussin'.